Hi, this is Sex and Ethics, or the Sex and Ethics Podcast. I'm Sharon Lamb. And I'm Madeline Brooke. And today, uh, we are going to talk about sex ed. I get a Google alert every day for the uh, word sex ed or sex education. So I can tell you a lot is going on in every tiny little town. Mm -hmm some argument about this or that and well not this or that some specific this is and that's that we'll talk yeah. about later but first one and it's a hot topic in massachusetts right now too there's a bill that's trying to get passed that's called the healthy youth act and they're trying to standardize sex ed across massachusetts it's actually town by town what gets selected right now oh that would be awesome except if they standardize it with some really dopey curricula that we'll also get to mm -hmm. <laughs> discussing uh, later. I mean, isn't that the uh, problem when you standardize it that, and that was Toronto's problem this last year too, that when you standardize it, then everybody has to agree. And what does everybody agree? Don't have sex ever. And parts are parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you know that commercial is an old chicken commercial where the Purdue or somebody would say parts are mm -hmm. parts or something. but let's talk about anatomy you know? yeah less of the stuff that's more likely to make people uncomfortable so it doesn't talk about the really important issues for youth that are often hot button issues for adults right right and that's also why we want to why we've taught a sexual ethics curriculum and we advocate for a sexual ethics course along with the sort of easy sex ed risk and prevention. But first I just want to say how I got interested in sex ed. I'm sure there are deeper, darker reasons than I'm going to say, but just a superficial thing that I remember is that I came across a book when I was in high school that was a German sex ed book and oh. it had teenagers doing things in a very like actual pictures yes it was a photo it was photography so you wow. saw there would be a male and a female and one they'd show you the anatomy very close up with little but it was sex and it wasn't porn same with them and then they would talk about petting or whatever the word was mm -hmm. and they would show this teenage boy with his hand on this teenage girl's breast but not in any porny way though i'm sure you can find porn in you know porn is in the eyes of the beholder yes it was meant to be instructional not sexualizing right it wasn't sexualizing they were totally naked too they got on top of each other at one point too and you know, hopefully they weren't just models and they were girlfriend and boyfriend who were yeah. willing to do this I just thought wow that's really informative I really enjoyed looking through it I I knew it was something odd and, and sensational. And when I showed a boyfriend I had in college or right after college and said, isn't this neat? He said it looked like the Hitler Jugend having sex or something. <laughs> he was Jewish. And, and just the, the pureness and the blondness of the two mm -hmm. <laughs> just turned him off. On. I could see that as, as being off-putting, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Anyway, so I, appreciate, yeah. I appreciate that one of your first exposures to sex ed type of things, though, is from a country that's not as repressed about sex as we are, mm -hmm. right? Because I think that shows up in like them producing a kind of photographs. Yeah. 
How do you think that book got into your house? It was in the library. I took it out of the school library and I've tried to find it and now and I have learned that it was banned. <laughs> so what? And it isn't how I learned about sex because as you know, I went to the Hindu oh, yes. Health Museum when I was in fifth grade. Yeah, and I knew it as the Robert Crown Center. Sharon and I grew up relatively close to each other. And so we went to the same place to get sex ed. We had basically the same sex ed. I don't think it changed over time. No, I think the only thing that changed was that they got a light up version of the woman's pregnant belly. I think I had a light up. I remember her breasts lighting up. Oh, wow. They didn't even change the technology then. (laughs) It was very uncomfortable then. I can't imagine it being uncomfortable today. I think today's fifth graders would be wisecracking about it. I don't know. If we think about the difference between like my experience and your experience, the way they present it, it's not really attractive. When I came home, incidentally, my mom, they gave us pads and tampons. And my mom told me that they gave us pads like that you get after birth, that level of serious pads. Not like (laughs) I just got a period (laughs) for the first time type of pad. And so I think like the idea of having an almost diaper handed to you as a fifth grader is very unnerving and will never not be unnerving. Well, you know, that's all we had back then. <laughs> we didn't get any tampons. That kind of thick pad, that was what we got. And we also had these like garter belts that you attached. Oh, yeah. You didn't, they didn't have the sticky stuff, that backing to put on your underpants. But when I got it, they had the option to have those like smaller self-sticking ones and they didn't give it to me. Oh, no. Well, you, you know what? It was, a, it was product placement. It was advertisement for Kotex. Mm-hmm. Was yours Kotex too? I don't remember. Well, obviously their product placement. Advertising. Yeah, it didn't work for you. I mean, for me, it was. For me also, I remember that I might just be remembering the little booklet that my mother gave me from Kotex rather than from there. And I, I remember. I think you stuff in the mail though. When my sons had sex ed, uh, they came home with deodorants, Old Spice. Yep. And a pack of like cheapo razors my brother came home with. Oh, no condoms though. Nobody got a condom. Heaven forbid. (laughs) Because the thinking of parents supposedly, though I don't really believe this, the thinking of maybe a third of parents is that if you talk about contraception and you show people how to use contraception, then they will do it. And if you don't, they won't. Which is so silly. And we know research shows that that's not the case. And in fact, people will, kids will do it whether they've gotten education or not. And uh, they're more likely to get an STI or get pregnant without the education. Mm -hmm. So we know that. Anyway, I think that was the beginning of my interest in sex ed and my interest in sexual ethics, I think, came from just all the work I was doing around sexual violence and abuse, Mm. victimization and thinking about, you know, how do we prevent that and that that should be a part of sex ed. Mm -hmm. I think also there was something idealistic about my wanting to create a curriculum that would bridge the gap between how conservative parents thought, evangelical parents even, and liberal or progressive parents thought. I believed at the time when I first created the curriculum, which we'll talk about in a second, 
I believe that parents would agree on ethics that you could say we all want our kids to treat other people well. We all want them not to harm other people, not to be harmed. We want them to treat other people fairly. We want them to be in relationships where they are loyal, where they are uh, respectful, where they are considerate. Just all the really good things about how ethics teach us how to treat other people. And I thought, and I also thought more religious conservative parents were protesting because progressives were teaching about sex without religion. And I thought, of course, we want to know what religion says about sex. I think that every student should actually have a course in world religions. They should understand what religions say about all sorts of things. So why not about sex? And wouldn't it be great if priests and ministers and uh, rabbis and imams come into, it would be good if, if any religious leader or religious parents could come in and talk to the class about what the, what the values of their culture and their religion were about sex and sexuality. I was idealistic. One of the things I think that we've talked about a lot, but is something that's implicit in that last point that you talked about, is that part of the reason that we have sex ed the way that we have it in this country is because of the discomfort of adults rather than the needs of children. Mm. And so we center one more than the other. And so one of the things I think was really ingenious of you to create this curriculum is that you created the curriculum in a way that if adults are uncomfortable talking about sex, it is an approachable way to do Because you're not talking about like a penis going into a vagina. You're talking about just how we treat other people. And that's a way more comfortable way to interact with kiddos about sex than being, I'm going to have to think about you and Johnny going and doing stuff under the bleachers and adults that's don't want absolutely. to. I mean, that's absolutely what happened when I was teaching. Well, I, I was doing a, a workshop in uh, Monterey, Mexico after I had met with the teachers and then I met with the kids. When I met with the parents, they totally, and everyone was telling me, the teachers were saying, oh no, the parents are going to be against this. They're not going to like your curriculum. They're going to be worried. As soon as I started talking about what do they want for their children, uh, what do they want their kids to learn, how do they want their kids to have sex, wh- you know, what kind of relationships do they want their kids to have, they were all over it. They were, and I think liberal and conservative parents together were just in agreement about how important it was to talk to their kids about all the issues that put up on the board that have to do with ethics which I'm feeling like maybe we should take a moment for our own product placement. (laughs) So so what we're talking about is the sexual ethics for caring society curriculum, which we call the sexy. And that can be found at sexualethics.org. It's in its fourth, third or third form with a few additional uh, lessons now that are about, that are updates. Yeah. I hate to interrupt you, but people are very bad at promoting things that are their own. So I'm going to do a shout out for the sexual ethics website because it has so many cool examples. You can email Sharon to get a copy of the curriculum. You can kind of start to see what all the lessons are about. And so I really think even if you're not an educator or in a position to make choices about a sex ed curriculum, I think it's really helpful to look through. And I think it also talks about the philosophy of the curriculum that, I mean, we're not saying don't give kids prevention, disease prevention and pregnancy prevention and lessons on anatomy. 
I think a school nurse can do that very well. I think that you can teach them that in two or three or maybe four lessons, but we have like 12 to 16 lessons on mm -hmm. uh, things that we think will make them better citizens, sexual citizens, like how are they, how are they going to develop their thinking about pornography or their thinking about prostitution, mm -hmm. sex work? How are they going to think about rape culture? or coercion, or consent, which is big, which everyone wants in their curriculum now, which we've had in the curriculum since the very first version of it. Mm -hmm. But these aren't things that you can just teach somebody, like get up there in front of the class or role play giving somebody consent, right? It's something that, you know, you have to have a deep understanding about why consent is important. Not that it's against the law, or without consent it's rape, but that it shows deep respect for the other person and the other person's autonomy that they have they're a separate person and they get to decide who they have sex with how they have sex when mm -hmm. with whom even and if they happen to be under 18. and you as a developmental psychologist are really well geared towards talking about that right like the teenage years when most kids get their sex ed it's all about individuation and also appropriately being a little bit selfish. So a reminder to kiddos that in their teenage years to think about the other person is super important. Yeah, yeah, I like to say that too, that when you're, when you're teaching kids about health or prevention, you're focusing on them taking care of themselves. But when you ask them to think about ethics, it's about how do you care for and take care of other people? How do you put somebody else in the line of sight when, and we know this is true for they'll get hot and horny, right? That they're when they're when they're very self-focused on what they need or what they want, or or whether it's about self-control too. It's really important to think about the other person. And if we were to teach our kids to, you know, put that first and foremost, I think we would reduce the amount of sexual coercion and sexual assaults that we're seeing which is pretty rampant on college campus mm -hmm. and it starts in the teenage years so that was my aim and and thank you for the shout out but it's not just mine because you contributed to the curriculum mm -hmm. like 12 to 20 different graduate students helped write different parts of it and we changed it because of our teaching together i mean teaching the curriculum was a learning experience and a half <laughs> yes that was the first time I was in front of a bunch of teenagers asking to like have them pay attention to me. It was very exciting, but really rewarding. I underestimated how much kids want to talk about this and don't have spaces to, because in my experience of teaching it, they were really engaged. What was your, what was the lesson that they were most engaged? Tell you where they were least engaged in my class. Um, oh, where was that? Well, I wouldn't say least engaged, but most what's the word for it? Like kind of angry and upset and it elicited a lot of negative lesson. reactions. The well, porn lesson. lesson. And I felt that they were ninth graders and the girls felt that we were doing something that was fun for boys, but was disrespectful to girls by talking about that. Mm. And so thinking, and we weren't talking about it like, Oh, pornography is fun. 
you know, we were talking about mm -hmm. it right after a lesson on meeting objectification, which I think is probably one of my favorite discussions that we had. But having had that experience, we updated the pornography lesson. So we're talking more, we're teaching them all about the business of pornography rather than the images and mm -hmm. how the, the business model is to uh, get kids early and introduce them to things that they'll be searching for and paying for fairly quickly, which again is how do you become a sexual citizen? We also talk about some of the harms of uh, porn pornography mm -hmm. today. Have we had a podcast about pornography yet? No, but I think we should. We should, because it's so complex these days. It and is. So omnipresent and so controlled by big business. And yet, you know, there's something so un-American about censorship too. Yeah. And I think when I first started working with you, Sharon, I had just finished reading, I think it was Female Chauvinist Pigs by Ariel Levy. Mm when I started working with you, I had expected for my views on pornography to become more clear. And actually the more time and I've spent reading and listening to you, the more complicated I feel about it because it is shaped by so many different forces of both capitalism and patriarchy, but also technology and media distribution. Thank you. And this is the biggest problem too. I love to complicate things. The mm -hmm. curriculum complicates every issue we talk about start out in the consent unit saying about the talking about the news item where a five-year-old boy kisses a five-year-old girl on the playground without consent should he be expelled from school as he was you know that complicates the issue doesn't it i mean everyone says everybody should have consent you know not rape but for me that's that's what education is about it's not going into a room and teaching uh, kids this is the ethic, this is the law, now you obey it or you get in trouble. It's right. um, how are you gonna think for yourself and how are you gonna lead your life so that you feel like you're a good person over time and a good person while you're having sex and with, with whom you're having sex with. Mm -hmm. And that complicates things, it's hard to be good. It is so hard. <laughs> right. And one of the things we talk about in the curriculum is one of the things that is really hard about being a good person is that there's a whole other person involved. feels really obvious. Other people are also complicated. And we can have, to get back to your earlier question, Sharon, uh, one of the things that my students like reacted the most to was our lesson about consent, specifically the picture of Halle Berry and what's his name? Oh my gosh. Adrian Brody. Thank you. Yeah. I was like the pianist. That's the only thing I can remember. Mm -hmm. so the, for folks who haven't seen this picture and haven't taught the lesson, we were talking about consent through a picture of Halle Berry and Adrian Brody at the Oscars. And in this picture, Adrian Brody had pulled Halle Berry towards him when he was winning, I believe, and gave her yeah. a kiss. And he, he turned her over like, you know, one of those. Oh, yeah. Like you're going to do a dip like that. And so that was the lesson that elicited the most from my students because they were taking a whole bunch of different perspectives of the people in the situation. But during that discussion, we talked about the difference between your intentions and the way that someone receives them. And you can have the best intentions of being a good person, but you can be received very poorly. So if your Brody's intentions were to celebrate and to have a great time, 
and the impact on Halle Berry was not nice. Yeah, right. And, you know, I want to emphasize that I was most surprised that the arguments that people made about that kiss and about things we talked about with pornography or rape or media objectification, they didn't split among gender lines. Absolutely not, which I was surprised by too. Ninth grade boys who were making the most feminist statements I'd ever heard, and ninth grade girls who were slut shaming other girls and situations. Uh-huh. And it was all stuff we needed to talk about, and we actually needed much more time than the eight lessons that we had there. Yeah, which I think for me, one, it shows like how, how complex the issue is, but also that kiddos need a space to talk about this kind of stuff. And that we were probably one of the only spaces that they had, yeah. um, which is yeah. more a sad comment about the state of sex education generally. Right, which gets us back to the news and the news items that I get every day. And I think the thing that really did the Toronto system in, so the Toronto had reached an agreement on a comprehensive sex education curriculum from like first grade you know through high school. A lot wow. of people worked on it. There was a lot of buy-in. It was out for maybe less than a year before they had to undo it. And it was all about LGBT identity. Oh no. That's the, that, that underlies any sort of parent protest about the sex that's being taught too, because in California, when they, they were also going to have a very progressive curriculum and then it got sort of shot down by parents saying, Look at this one page where they talk about anal sex. Your child does not need to know about anal sex, but they don't go on to say, and because we associate anal sex with being gay. gay Right? Yeah. So that's the fight right now. And it's a fight that we still, I mean, a collaborative fight with, you know, for LGBT rights, because the problems with that are coming up with sex ed have to do with, you know, what to call an insidious way to, un, to take away LGBT rights. Absolutely. Rights. Because I don't think that the parents are really objecting um, to the sex. I think that's in there. I think that they're afraid you're going to teach my child to have gay sex or something like that. Mm. And again, it's this really stupid attitude that if you talk about something, they're going to want to do it. Which is always mind-blowing to me, because like you talk about math a lot, but I don't necessarily do math. That argument is so silly. Well, let me just, I mean, I don't know why this came up, but what, what is the discussion about suicide? When a, a kid in a school commits suicide, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. I don't think that's the right word anymore for it. I forget the better. It's dies by suicide. Thanks. Dies by suicide. They don't stop discussing it. What they do is they don't glamorize it and they don't have all the attention stuff that goes with it. But I don't think they, they just shut down and don't talk about it. The same with anal sex. You can mm-hmm. talk about it, but you don't have to like show pictures with glitter all over. <laughs> oh, of- now I have a like imaginary PowerPoint slide of like glittery buttholes that <laughs> never will be inside of a sex ed classroom, and I'm just upset about it. I mean, you don't have to just sort of wave flags and put glitter and say, this is the best sex you're all of it, you should try it kind of thing. Yeah. Or somebody's a hero for having anal sex. It's just 
it just is. It's just the way some people have sex. And it's not only gay men. But, mm -hmm. and I think I'm right about the, the way schools treat suicide. I think it's very dependent from what I've heard from Stephen. Stephen Benoit is a professor in our department who focuses on suicide research. There is some fear about suicide contagion, that if you talk about it, that it'll become an idea in some people's head. In a similar way to like what we're talking about with some more detailed explanation of sex acts. But I feel like that has really changed culturally. I feel like in Pride Month, like I've had so much inundation of like talking about suicide and suicide resources that are specific to the LGBT community, that that stigma has really been impacted in our current zeitgeist, whereas this stigma hasn't really. Mm -hmm. And what about that whole It Gets Better campaign? That's what it was about. It was anti-suicide and, mm -hmm. and that certainly didn't promote it and it didn't Absolutely increase. Not. So the sort of simplistic view, if you talk about something, somebody will do it or it will happen. It's not, it's not, has not been shown to be true. No. I, I just questioned myself for a moment because I just didn't have the evidence at hand that I had to talk myself through it. <laughs> just like, no, yeah. I know. So, uh, oh, and I guess the other issue is abstinence only until marriage education. I don't think that the majority of American parents think that you should be teaching abstinence. I'm positive that the research shows that most parents think you should be teaching contraception. But why is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at the research lately, but definitely think that the way you scare parents is you show, you know, ridiculously fun, again, the glitter, you know, classes with banana peels and a teacher pretending to have oral sex with a banana and that sort of thing mm -hmm. that you would get in the movies, which isn't exactly how they teach proper condom use. And it's pretty, can teach proper condom use without having examples of vegetables to try it out on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that, that, that there is something that, you know, teachers who are into sex ed, they want to make it fun for the students. And I, I mm -hmm. appreciate that too. But then those fun things get taken, get exaggerated by anti-sex ed proponents or the abstinence only people. And then that gets exaggerated and say, look what's being taught in these classes. Also, there are quite a few lies that go on about what's being taught in those classes anyway. I guess. Absolutely. Part of this is, I think this is one of those targets for fear mongering, some of this stuff. Because it's so scary, you can make up a bunch of things about what's happening and it doesn't get questioned. Right. And what's so ridiculous is how much information kids are getting about sex outside of school. I mean, outside of education, that it just seems ridiculous that people would center their values fights around sex education, whereas their kids have access to all sorts of pornography and all sorts of really problematic pornography of that's abusive to people and disrespectful. And you know, the parents worry about that. And they say, you know, when I've talked to parents, how can we stop our kids from accessing pornography? At the same time, they'll say, oh, I don't want them to have sex ed. I don't want them to learn about X, Y, or Z. Like they're learning about it. Who would you rather have them learn from? Some, you know, phony actor or some company that wants to make money off of it and is going to <laughs> over-exaggerate the way these things go? Or 
some shy sex ed teacher who's who brings out a manual in your kid <laughs> so anyways i'm very proud of the curriculum and i really wish that people would take it up and but i also wanted to give a little shout out to scarlet teen you might have a shout out too scarlet teen was was one of the best sources for any information about sex for a teenager and we actually even use one of their examples in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the Halle Berry discussion, Adrian Brody discussion comes from. It comes from a discussion that I got off of Scarletine. And right before I talked to you today, I was looking at Twitter and, and I saw that the founder of Scarletine was just saying, why, oh, why do I have to struggle so much with my little website? where somebody has the most basic, stupid little curriculum and they get funding up the wazoo to get it into all the schools. And the answer to that is that it's an inoffensive little program that's mm -hmm. just the facts, ma'am, and nobody's gonna argue with just the facts. And then they can get all the money to make it evidence-based and then it becomes an evidence-based program as opposed to this wonderful website, Garlatine that has more information than that will answer any question that a teen has from their experts and from other teens too it's pretty well regulated and really quite interesting yeah i've always really liked it i mean there's some other good ones too out there too advocates for youth uh sex etc i mean there are a lot of people out there fighting the good fight and so you know to get sex ed in schools and I think that most people who are doing these comprehensive things online, they understand that you can't separate health risk prevention from all these other ethical issues. Yeah, just because the situations are complicated and so the solutions are complicated. Yeah. So that was all I wanted to say about, I guess, Scarletine and about our sexy curriculum which I think people are using all over the world, but I'm not very mm -hmm. good. I mean, it's, I, I don't have a business really, so I don't keep track exactly how people are using and why, but people ask for it and I, they pay a little bit and I make it reasonable and then they, I send it out and then I try to tr keep track of them, but they're off doing their own thing. So. Yeah, which I think is not so much about like your level of investment in the program it's more that you just like really love it and created it and don't care as much about like where someone is in the world using it as long as they're giving this to kiddos somehow well the only time i i care is when i see some things that i think are really dumbed down curricula out there and i think well oh they should be using my curriculum but yeah anyway but yeah, I, I've got other things to do, as we talked about in many other episodes, right? You're so, only one person. Right. Well, I can get a business manager, I suppose, and send it out there. Yeah. Anyway, but we'll just keep writing lessons, and we'll keep uh, up with the website, showing people our new lessons, like our Me Too lesson, which I think was a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Do you think Me Too is still uh, something that people talk about in schools, that the high school students are using in their vocabulary? Like, oh, that's a Me Too incident? I think so. I hope so. 
I mean, I think for the sake of us advancing as a human race, I also hope so. Yeah. I think we have a pretty savvy, smart, thoughtful bunch of teenagers that are coming up right now. Mm. So I think that they're still probably having a bunch of those talks. Yeah. 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 And finally, any final stories about important sex ed moments uh, in your life? Was it? I can tell you that before we got to sex ed, when my when Miss Mantonia, my fifth grade teacher, said, "We're going to talk about urine, and nobody is going to laugh," that I cracked up and got sent out of the room. <laughs> of course, I would have done the same thing. No, I probably wouldn't have. I was terrified of teachers as a as a small child, so I have a variety of stories I can tell about the horrifying ways that abstinence only sex education is brought to children if you feel like that would be interesting well Uh, let's just end with a couple of those because i do know about the rose were you thinking of the rose uh i i had the potato chip one (laughs) and the tape one which is probably all operating on the same principle so the potato chip this is in seventh grade i remember i can picture the room that this was in this was so formulative for me they gave us each a plain potato chip not kettle cooked or anything, just very boring potato chips. And like one of those really small Dixie cups that you used to use in like the dentist office. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this potato chip represents your virginity. And so you put it in your mouth and chew it, but don't swallow. And then you can spit it out into that cup. And now after you have sex, this is what you are. Does that look appetizing? Would you want to share that with anyone else? Don't have sex. <laughs> the end. Um, I don't think that's a very good metaphor. I mean, I mean, it was clearly effective. I mean, even if I believed in abstinence, I don't even see how, okay, well, let's give them credit for saying that sex is something you share with other people. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, Give me your other one. Tape metaphor is similar, except for it was a piece of like regular old scotch office tape. And they're like, this is your virginity, you stick it on yourself, Ooh. and then you can try and stick it to another person, but it'll just be less sticky. And so they had us go through and like stick the piece of tape to like three or four people, and then they had us look at the piece of tape and go, look how disgusting this piece of tape is. Would you want to share that with someone else? This is what you look like when you have sex with multiple people. Oh, I thought it was like, no, it, you won't be able to stick with anyone by the end. You will have been passed around and all your stickiness, so you won't be able to attach yeah somebody yep. yeah mm-hmm. and you'll be left alone uh, so uh, we're both slut shaming and making you fear for ever being able to find a partner ever it was very effective for me i basically just ignored sex until the end of high school because i was like nope i'm not gonna be the potato chip <laughs> what was the rose one that you're talking about oh i think you just pass around a rose and everyone plucks off a a pedal or something. But you know what? I just had one of those memories. What? I was in my sex ed class in school in, was it sixth grade, seventh grade? It wasn't the fifth grade one. And they were showing us, uh, not videos, because videos didn't exist. Or something. I guess a little movie, you know, with that click, 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 click sound, yeah. like a reel to reel, like movie of STIs of syphilis and gonorrhea and it was so gross that this boy mark hausner fainted in class (gasps) 
Wow. That Shout out to Hauser. But he, of course he fainted. And, but at the time, nobody, everyone was like, what happened to him? Is he sick or something like that? People yeah. didn't put the two things together mm -hmm. that it was so scary and sick <laughs> that somebody fainted. And I think I didn't too, because I didn't think of boys as being vulnerable. I thought, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> wrong or something. But clearly, I mean, it was really gross and we were all really quiet and we weren't joking going, ew, ew, ew. And then all of a sudden, there goes Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so I've avoided syphilis and gonorrhea, but I don't think it's because of those films. And I think that getting back to the dentist and dental cops, um, <laughs> I think they've shown that showing people pictures of teeth, tooth decay doesn't get them to brush or floss more regularly. That encouragement uh, works better than uh, fear mongering. Yeah, as with all the stuff that we talked about, the carrot is far better motivating than the stick, to put it very simply, and that scaring your children is not going to prevent them from having sex. In fact, it might lead to them making more bad decisions about it. Mm -hmm. But no carrots or sticks in the sex ed class. We can do it all through ethical discussions, Socratic yeah. questioning, and maybe a few um, objectifying images that we can deconstruct together. Just a little light media analysis, like we always do. A little lightweight. We can do that. <laughs> so, well, so I think that we're coming to an end. And once again, we have to think about how do we end our podcast. I don't think we were saying cheerio. No. <laughs> Ta-ta. Au revoir. Ta <laughs> we are, um, we're not saying stay sexy though because somebody else says that that would have been a perfect line for us i think we said like stay ethical or something like that be good be good yes it. it was be good i'm sorry that we haven't been podcasting very regularly end of semester and that sort of thing and now madeline has moved uh i don't can i say your city or do you have any stalkers yeah. that you're trying to avoid i don't think i have stalkers Good. So you are in Spokane. Tacoma. Tacoma. <laughs> Tacoma. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I was just I trying to... I've a week. You have, like, adjustment period. You have, like, three months until I can be like, what are you doing, Sharon? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to send your, um, your stalker off in a different... Oh, direction. okay. okay. Find me in the middle of Washington State. That was purposeful. And that's why it's been so long since we've had our send-off, which we'll do right mm -hmm. now. And thanks for listening. And be good. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs>